0: Hey, Raider Nation, are you looking for an independent news source covering the Raiders in Las Vegas? Check out the only site that's been doing it for the past four years, VegasSportsToday.com. With in-depth daily coverage of the Raiders and news and opinions from a stable of talented writers, VegasSportsToday.com is your independent source for news out of the capital of Raider Nation, Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, and by the way, we cover all Vegas sports, including boxing, UFC, esports, and the hottest ticket in the NHL, the Vegas Golden Knights. Get on your phone now. And check out VegasSportsToday.com, your independent source for Raiders news. No corporate BS, just pure Raider Nation. That's VegasSportsToday.com. It's time for Silver and Black Today Game Day. We're breaking down the Raiders' upcoming game and bring you in depth analysis from national football insiders. Let's get the nation fired up. Here are your hosts, Scott Gobranson and Mo Moten. Happy Sunday, Raider Nation. It is game day, that's right, down at Allegiant Stadium just after 1 o'clock this afternoon here in the Las Vegas desert. The Raiders welcome in the 2-2 Chicago Bears. The Raiders, of course, at 3-1. Their first loss, your first taste of a loss, Raider Nation, in the 2021 season. How you doing? How you feeling? Are you dealing with it okay? You don't like to lose. I know that very well. But the Raiders still in a good position at 3-1. We're going to talk about it. This is Scott Colbranson. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Mo Moten. He is a national NFL writer for Bleacher Report, also a contributor up on VegasSportsToday.com. Mo, uh, I was concerned with Raider Nation. It was an ugly game against the Chargers, especially in the first half. And I think a lot of them were upset, but at the same time, after four weeks being 3-1, and one, I didn't expect them to be here. I think they're in a good spot, but they do have issues they need to address.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about the offensive line coming into the season. I actually had them at 2-2 two and two at this point, so they're a little better than I had them. But the sky is not falling. I went outside today. <laughs> uh, you know, nothing falling from the, from the clouds. It's going to be okay. The Raiders are 3-1. and one. I understand people get antsy after a loss, after you've been undefeated for a bit. But again, I, even in a loss, there are some good things to look at, and in a win, there is some there's some issues to pay attention to, and I think there are some positives and negatives to take away from that Chargers game as there, as there is every game. So We'll get into that
0: today. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think that if you look at at what happened with the Raiders, of course, the, what we have been talking about since August, which is that offensive line. We were concerned with it, you and I, uh, on, on all these shows, almost every single show we've mentioned this, talking about, look, yes, some guys are playing well at positions, but in, in the three wins that the Raiders had, remember, two of those wins, they had to go to overtime to win. In all three wins, their offense started slow. And so you knew, and we talked about last Last week here, Mo, saying that, listen, if the Raiders are going to go down to Los Angeles and beat the Chargers at home in this big AFC West game, they were going to have to come out quickly on offense and they were going to have to play four quarters of offense. We got two out of them.
1: Right. We still haven't seen a complete game from this Raiders team yet. We Mm -hmm. were seeing a quarter here, a quarter there, a half here, a half there. If they can just play a good game from start to finish, they'll be fine. I believe they have it in them. But as we've heard on, on Thursday, there could be some changes to the offensive line and for the better as well.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, we, we, we know uh, going back to Thursday, Thursday, that they moved Alex Leatherwood inside to guard and put Brandon Parker at tackle and of course everyone had been asking for that all all week long right Mo they said hey move him give him a break put him at guard and then when you hear Brandon Parker then people oh god you can't put Brandon Parker there and it's like like, what do you guys want you want like this mystical creature to come down from Black Mountain outside Henderson there and jump into the offensive line and say I am now the offensive line no I mean look the Raiders have problems they're going to have to Piece it together. It, I, I, as I said early on in the season, I don't think Richie Incognito ever plays a game again for the Raiders, and he's not proven me wrong yet. Uh, and so they're not. There's no magical cowboy offensive lineman going to ride into the Vegas desert on the Mojave on some uh, black horse to, to come in and save this team on offense, Mo. They're going to have to figure it out. They, have, they haven't gone out and gotten any free agents of substance yet. Not that there's a lot of guys out on the street, but if you're in charge, if you're Tom Cable, what are you going to do right now knowing the problems you have up front?
1: Look, I'm not calling any mythical creatures in <laughs> to play right tackles right now. Right tackles don't grow on trees or anything. But I, I have a real, honest solution. I would actually bring in Rick Wagner, and I've ah. been campaigning for the Raiders to sign Rick Wagner from the from the off season because he filled in at right tackle for the Green Bay Packers last year and he played well. I believe he only gave up three sacks and 757 pass blocking snaps. So this is a guy that's that's available, who's a natural right tackle. And you can plug him in right away, and I'm sure he would be better than what the Raiders have right now in Alex Leatherwood and Brandon Parker.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Let's talk about Alex Leatherwood because, um, you know, the one thing I will—listen, i I, listen, I love Raider Nation. Not all of them love me, but I love them anyway. And when I look at this and I, I see how fans react to young players now—and this isn't just Raider fans, so I don't mean to pick on them. You, you see it all over the NFL— Alex Leatherwood's a bust after four games, apparently, right? And we heard this about Colton Miller. Three years ago, remember that. Uh, now, very different situations. I think comparing them is dangerous because they were different situations. But at the same time, I think they're, the 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 play that they've seen and the struggles that they've had are comparable. I know there's some people out there defending. Well, Colton Miller was on a bad team, so you can't. No, listen, this Raider offensive line is not better than it was back when Colton Miller joined it. Okay, and so so I, I kind of dismiss that. But Mo, this, this, this quick move. Now he's playing out of position. Do people not realize this?
1: I don't think they weigh it heavily. And I've been screaming this from the beginning. Once they drafted Alex Heatherwood, I've been saying, look, he has not played at right tackle mm-hmm. at, at Alabama. He didn't play at right tackle Alabama. He played right guard, and then he moved to left tackle. Right. So you are asking an offensive lineman to learn a different position, then go up against Justin Houston, T.J. Watt. <laughs> and Joey Bosa in three of his first four games. Yeah. Now, I think veteran offensive linemen would struggle with that slate, let alone a guy coming out of college learning a new position. And I just want to throw out something really quick. I've read and listened to a bunch of veteran offensive tackles in the league, and they said it is not a seamless transition to go from left to right or right to left tackle. Mm-hmm. George Fant of the Jets said it's like a pitcher throwing with his other hand. I've heard other veterans say it's like riding with your non-dominant hand. Not every offensive tackle is able to just switch from one side to the other, and it's obviously difficult for Alex Leatherwood right now.
0: Yeah, and this goes back to a discussion we had uh, uh, after the great – Tanner Mew's f- fiasco, right, which was uh, you can blame the player sometimes, but you can't blame the player for where they're drafted. You can't blame the player drafted as a first round draft pick and then asked to play a position they don't play. So so again, I, I, I think they're, all the blame is going on the player. And I look at the personnel decisions made by John Gruden and Mike Mayock over drafting <laughs> a right guard and asking him to play right tackle as a rookie in the NFL. Oh, by the way, on a line that's not very good with a center that's unproven and has not played well either. And so so that whole thing up there is a mess. And that whole thing has to be figured out. I know Tom Cable does the best that he can. I don't necessarily have anything against him. If somebody gives you uh, materials, if they give you brick and no mortar and tell you to build a wall, your wall is not going to stand very long. So So to me... This is a this is an organizational issue, right? This is something we knew coming in, and you were hoping and praying. And sometimes the guys play well, and sometimes they don't. But I think it's very unfair uh, of the way that I think people are judging Alex Leatherwood and saying that the Raiders made a mistake in drafting him, uh, just like they made a mistake in drafting Jonathan Abram to play free safety versus play box safety where he's at now. Am I wrong on that?
1: No, and here's a bonus tidbit. Guess where Andre James played at UCLA? He played tackle. Uh-huh. <laughs> on the right <laughs> he side. He played he played left. He played Probably right left. tackle before. Yeah. He played a little left tackle. Then he moved. Then he played. Well, actually, he played right tackle. Then he played left tackle. Yeah, that's right. And now he's a center. So my <laughs> problem with the Raiders right now is why are you drafting players and then asking them to play outside of their natural position? If you draft a right tackle, put them at right tackle. If you draft a left tackle, obviously you're not going to do that right now because you have Colton Miller. Use him at his natural position, because once you ask guys to transition, you're making it harder and you're making that learning curve a lot steeper.
0: What's more perplexing about that, Mo, is the fact that you would think that the Raiders would learn that from the experience they had with Paul Gunther on defense. Right. Right. They had the wrong players in the wrong position, not that they weren't good players. They didn't perform well with the Raiders because, again, you're asking a lefty to write with his right hand. Uh, And so to me, that's the issue here. And and I'm not going go crazy on it, but I, I get a little defensive for a kid who's being asked to do an impossible task for them, or they have to develop. It's going to take time. You saw Colton Miller struggle too. He had a knee injury and that guy was a warrior and played through his rookie year. And he got better now to the point where he's one of the best in the NFL. If you look at the PFF grades versus the other guys on that line are the lowest grades on the PFF. So, so, so again, yeah, out of place and, uh, doesn't deserve all the blame in that case. And I think people need to be a little more patient with him. It's not his fault that they put him in that position, but the offensive line continues to be a problem. Uh, But the defense, Mo, against the Chargers as well, what we saw, and I think this is the reality of the Raiders' defense, is the Raiders' defense is a middle-of-the-road defense. It's much better than it has been over the last three or four years. Uh, it has great, uh, I think, ability up front. It has great motor up front with Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, Darius Philon, who had a big game, and I love him. I think he's one of the most underrated signings the Raiders made. And then, of course, Solomon up there as well. Uh, this defense is going to give up points. They're going to give up yards, which makes it even more important that that off offense play all four quarters but looking at Gus Bradley looking at what they were able to do against the Chargers offense which is pretty high flying how did you feel the defense performed under the circumstances
1: I felt they they're the side of the ball that kept the game close because it and I had to if the Raiders had to their defense from last year that game could have easily been 28 yeah but I think that defense showed some fight they put some pressure on Justin Herbert yes Justin Herbert has some good throws, has some accurate throws, but the defense was also pressuring him and moving him off off of his spot. The problem I have with the Raiders' defense, and it's been a problem even before the Chargers game, because I know the defense got worn down Monday night, but usually I would say in in Gus Bradley's history, his defenses have given up yards on the ground, and Mm -hmm. Raiders went into that Chargers game giving up 4.8 yards per carry. Right now, they're ranked 29th, giving up 4.9 yards per carry, so they have to patch up their run defense. I know they're good at Uh, pressure in the pocket right now, but they're going to have to plug some holes because if the bears are going to, are going to help Justin Fields, they're probably going to run the football even without David Montgomery.
0: Mo, when you look at that and you try to diagnose why they're struggling against the run, I mean a little bit of a scheme, but you look at that linebacking core, which has improved right with, with uh, Perryman back there with Corey Lilton, who's having a much better year than he had last year. What seems to be the issue? Because you're right. You're getting, you're getting good play up front, which is helping the back end overall, even though the back end is really banged up right now. What is it with the run that the Raiders are struggling so much to stop it?
1: You know, it's funny. And this problem has carried over from the Paul Gunther days. The Raiders are still missing way too many tackles up front. Mm. And I'm seeing too many guys whiff on the first, on the first uh, attempt. I've seen John Abram. I've seen Corey Littleton. I've seen guys on that defensive line whiff, and then you see the running back get another four or five yards. Uh, they've missed, I believe, 28 tackles, which is somewhere around 10th or 11th in the league right now. So they have to clean that up. I don't know if it's practice or or what have you, or just not being in the right spot or just being a little off by a hair, mm-hmm. but they're missing way too many tackles on the first attempt.
0: Yeah, and I thought I thought in this Charger game, both obviously offensively but also defensively, I just thought the Raiders were off a little bit. Like, I didn't see the same level of, I think, clean play. You talk about defense, too, with missed tackles. And, and they've had some issues with it all season long, don't get me wrong. But I do think in this Charger game, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was the delay or what, what you want to blame it on, it just seemed like the lack of focus on both sides of the ball was a little lacking for the first time.
1: Yeah, a little off there. But like I said, I, I think overall, when you look at that defense, I, I would give them a, a solid grade, maybe a C mm-hmm. plus B minus there because – if they hadn't pressured Justin Herbert, if they hadn't, you know, pressured the pocket, that game could have got out of hand really quickly. I believe that defense allowed that offense to at least give it a give the Rays a chance because they did make a surge in the second half where they could have come back. But they, they dug a hole too deep for themselves in the first half. But they actually that defense gave the offense a chance for a comeback.
0: No doubt. Absolutely. Well said. And Mo, I got to tell you, though, there's, a, I got to tell you a secret now. There's a there's a guy. His name is Hunter Renfro, and he's pretty good at fo- he's pretty good at football. I don't know if you know this, but that play on the fake punt. I know it got a lot of play in the media all week long, but I, I think that one of the most underreported stories in the NFL is how good Hunter Renfro has become. Now, I know that's instinct on the punt, and he's an athlete, but the ground he covered, and then if you look at his route running and what he's doing over the course of this season going into last season is really remarkable. And this guy, even though he looks like a PE teacher walking out of the gym um, when you see him on the street, this kid is an exceptional athlete. He's also an exceptional human being. We had him on our show every week last week. But, Mo, I mean, what he's able to do and what he means to that offense, I think, is very understated.
1: Give the guy an extension right now. <laughs> that is that that is a football player right there. He can catch passes, he can return punts, he can he can break up passes. Just an all around good football player. Really quick, the stat of the day for me was when I saw I know people don't like him, but Josh Dubow of Associated Press, mm-hmm. he said Hunter Renfro and Damon Arnett have the same amount of pass breakups right now for the <laughs> <laughs> that is impressive for one person and disappointing for the other who's a first-round pick.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll talk uh, later in the show. We're going to be joined by Evan Grote from Just Pod Baby, uh, who's a podcast on our Vegas Sports uh, Today podcast network and a good friend of the show here. We're going to talk to him a little bit about Damon Arnett, but I will tell you, that I'm absolutely with you on the extension. I mean, I, I, look, this this guy is so much, and it reminds me of the scene, of course, you know I'm a big Notre Dame guy, so it reminds me of the scene in Rudy where, where the coach is talking to, to Rudy, and he says, if I could just take your heart and put it in some of these guys' body, I mean, that's what I see with Hunter, and Hunter Renfro's got the skills, though, as, a, as an athlete, too, but imagine if you had six more guys, seven more guys with the get-go, the heart and the effort of Hunter Renfro, man, that would be an amazing sight. Uh, but still that play, that might be one of the plays of the year, even though we're only a quarter of the way in for Hunter Renfro, but it looks, uh, it looks like, and just, it's just great to see the kid develop, but he doesn't care. He'll do it. He doesn't, he can play defense. He can play special teams. It doesn't matter what you need him to do. Hunter Renfro will do it. All right. Mo and I are going to take a break here. Uh, We're going to pay some bills. And when we come back here on Silver and Black Today Game Day, we'll be joined by Lauren Cox here on The Fan in Las Vegas. Don't go anywhere. Silver and Black Today Game Day is coming back right after the break. Silver and Black Today Game Day is on. Welcome back. Silver and Black Today Game Day here on The Fan in Las Vegas. And in this segment, we're switching gears and we're going to talk about the Raiders opponent today later down at Allegiant Stadium that of course is the Chicago Bears and joining us is the host of uh the Locked On Bears podcast that of course is Lauren Cox. Lauren thanks for joining Mo and I here on Silver and Black today game day.
2: Hey appreciate you guys having me on it should be a fun matchup today.
0: It should. Uh, let's start. Obviously, the big announcement this week—the switch to quarterbacks, uh, and or should say, Justin Fields—to be the name starting quarterback. Matt Nagy starts on Monday, saying no, it's Andy Dalton. Then and by Wednesday, he had changed his mind. There's a lot of theories out there on why that happened, including front office uh, direction, other things going on. What's the latest from your perspective on why the move was made and why it was made now?
2: Yeah, it's a move that we felt like should have been made. Earlier, right? So there's there's always been sort of the the football logic behind to it that of course like we know what Andy Dalton is as a quarterback and he's been the same Dalton this year and that's you know a, a starting caliber NFL quarterback but with some very real limitations and a real ceiling there and so of course you draft Justin Fields and you trade up for him in the first round with the idea that he's going to be something better than that and maybe he wasn't going to be. Better than that in week one or in his first start. But the idea is that he will get there sooner rather than later. And I think after he played so well against the Detroit Lions, even though they were an 0-4 Detroit Lions team, you still saw enough of that progress from a rookie quarterback showing, you know, plus NFL throws downfield in tight window coverages and figuring out some things with a team around him, getting on the same page for a guy that hasn't been practicing with the starters, who really hadn't been really put in that position to thrive up until that point. It just felt like there's too much pressure to not stick with Justin Fields. i here that he had played too well and that you might start to feel like the locker room is wondering why we why we're going back to this other quarterback when our rookie was playing at such a high level.
1: Based on this decision, do you think this was a naggy decision, him changing his mind, or do you think this was a call from the front office ownership making the call and saying, hey, we we need to start this rookie after what he did against the Lions. Now, I know he didn't light it up, but he did make some progress there.
2: Yeah, I don't think it came all the way down from the top. I mean, I'm sure they have been involved in in some level of communication throughout this process. But you know, Nagy has said all along that he and the general manager Ryan Pace and the coaching staff they have this plan. There's a quarterback plan. We've planned it out from the moment they were drafted, and we've worked on different contingencies. And you know, if Dalton gets hurt, we have a plan for that. And they've they've had this this plan that they won't really tell us about. They just say that they have a plan and that they're they're able to prepare for all situations. So this is somewhere in that plan, and I think it. I think it came down to more so the coaching staff as a whole. I don't think it was purely Matt Nagy's decision. Honestly, I think Nagy felt more inclined to maybe want to go back to Andy Dalton, but I'm sure there was some discussion with the general manager of the front office, but a a lot of it comes down to, you know, he gives up play calling to the offensive coordinator and the offense changes a little bit and has all this success, and all of a sudden he's giving more Uh, strength and power to the other voices in the room, and I think that's what ultimately gets us to this point.
0: Lauren, you you know, you talked about Bill Lazor taking over the the play-calling duties on offense, and of course the Raiders have a head coach who calls all the offensive plays, John Cruden. So the the Raiders are in that position. Uh, Talk about how that change came about and, you know, for for a guy, an offensive coach like Matt Nagy, who's used to calling the play-calling, to give that up, what was the evolution of that? Why did he eventually do it? Uh, And talk about Bill Lazor and and what he's done differently since taking over uh, against against the Lions, at least in in one game so far.
2: The weird thing is that this is the second time in the last two seasons that Mm. Nagy has given up the play-calling duties to Bill Lazor. It happened last season after the Bears had lost five or six in a row, and they finally came out of the bye week and said, you know what, we got to do something different. Let's let's let this guy try. And, of course, they turn around and play some lower-quality opponents in the process, but offense changed quite a bit then and got success. Enter this year... Back to Matt Nagy as the head coach, and we go through the whole cycle again of really feeling kind of rigid in terms of game plan. And especially once Justin Fields went in, they kept trying to force Justin Fields into this sort of system that they needed him to be somewhat like Andy Dalton a quick passing rhythm precision quarterback where you know three-step drop on time on target it's got to be perfect over the middle on the slant or perfect timing to a receiver on the curl on the sideline and it's like Fields has not been practicing enough to be able to do that he hasn't been working with these receivers enough and it's not the quarterback that he was at Ohio State so Bill Lazor comes in after some internal meetings with the players and the coaches and kind of open up for an open dialogue and saying what do we what do we need to do differently what do you players think we should do and ultimately that change happens and we see a lot more play action some moving pockets some added max protect deep shots so leaving the tight end and a running back in there to to block and and help create more time for Justin Fields because he has the arm he can throw downfield he can extend some things with his legs and he's a he's a very mobile quarterback he just didn't work that well against the Browns when they had Miles Garrett (laughs) and Jadavian Clowney coming down and that's where some of that concern comes back against the Raiders when it's Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe and and Carl Nassip this is going to be kind of like the Browns 2.0 for a test for fields and this offensive coordinator to show us what kind of progress they've made since they gave up nine sacks.
1: So you talk about that offensive line and Raiders defensive line and know what problems they may present to Justin Fields. Uh, He had a lot of help with the ground game last week that went over the Lions bears rushed for, I believe 188 yards and three touchdowns, but David Montgomery went down with a knee injury and he's out four to five weeks do you think we'll see a full dose of Damian Williams for twenty plus carries today, or could the Bear, could the Bears help Justin Fields in another way, using multiple t- t- multiple tight ends and pass protection, as you just mentioned? Maybe a running back to chip, or which could lead to more big plays downfield. Because I know Darnell Mooney had a big game last week, one hundred twenty-five receiving yards. Maybe they can get Allen Robinson going if Justin Fields gets comfortable in the pocket.
2: Yeah, I think those two things are very connected. I think their ability to run the ball, slow things down a little bit, control the clock, and get a little physical with the defense, then paired then with the play action and the deep shots – to open things up vertically. I mean, I think those fed off of each other throughout the course of that game. And so I think that's what they want to do against the Raiders. And I think they look at a Raiders defense that has given up some yards to running backs in recent weeks and has also given up some yards to quarterbacks. I believe Lamar Jackson and Jacoby Brissett had some some pretty significant scrambles on them as well. So I I think they will want to try and get at least more of an emphasis on the running game again, whether that's purely 20 carries for Damian Williams or whether they get their rookie Khalil Herbert involved, and they're expected to probably call up at least one player from the practice squad, either Ryan Nall or Artavis Pierce. I mean, none of them are workhorse every down NFL running backs by any means, but maybe they might go to more of a a committee approach as opposed to just David Montgomery. But I think they're going to want to run the ball, and if they can find enough success doing it against this Raiders defense, I think they will stick with it. It's just if they don't find that success, they've been – I don't want to say fairly quick to abandon it over the years because it's not always Bill Lazor. It's sometimes it's Matt Nagy. So who who's abandoning what is always a little bit of a question there. But <laughs> they do they will get pass happy if the running game doesn't get going, and then that puts the pressure on fields and it puts the Raiders pass rush in a good spot to be aggressive and go after the quarterback. And that's where things definitely would get a lot more messy for Chicago. Lauren Cox,
0: who's the host of the Locked on Bears podcast, joins us here on Silver and Black today, game day on the fan in Las Vegas. And Lauren, let's switch to that side of the ball. You mentioned the run. If you look at the the Bears' defense and how well they've done uh, with the sacks and the pass rush, of course, they've had trouble against the run. Now, the Raiders offensive line, as you saw against the Chargers, is not in great shape, and so they have a lot to do there. When you look at the matchup for the Bears on defense uh, with Akeem Hicks, you know, ailing with the groin, of course, Khalil Mack with the ribs and the foot injury i know he's going to go on sunday for sure but if you look at um that defense and where the bears are right now are they licking their chops looking at what's going on up front for the raiders
2: yeah it plays into what they want to do schematically right their defensive coordinator sean desai is trying to get them back more to that vic fangio brandon staley mm-hmm. scheme where they want to stick two deep safeties back there as much as possible go with a lot of a deep shell and, and take guys out of the box and say you know what We dare you to consistently run on us with, you know, we'll have six defenders in there in our nickel package, and we're going to drop back in coverage, and we'll let you get your, you know, your three or four yards there, and we'll trust that you're not going to be able to consistently throw short and run the ball for long, you know, 12, 15 play drives and score throughout the course of the game. We just don't think that you as an offense can do that consistently enough to beat us, and it's, it's worked fairly well for the first three-ish quarters of pretty (laughs) much every game this season i mean even the when they've lost to the browns and the rams they were in it for a lot of it there were some busted coverages in both of those plays but for the most part schematically it's held up it's just you get to the fourth quarter and if the offense hasn't put up the points then the defense wears down and and it doesn't get a break and eventually the the dam kind of bursts by the end of the game and that's where I'm concerned too in this Raiders game with with how well that Derek Carr has been passing this season I think there's going to be opportunities for him to move the ball through the air and and at least get yards in between the 20s but I do think uh, I'm not overly concerned about the Raiders necessarily running all over them because I don't think the Bears. not that they don't care that much about it but this it's not as big of a a fear for them They're, they're more concerned about taking away some of those deep shots over the top and making you keep everything in front of them
1: so Lauren I just want to ask who exactly is the key to that defense a lot of people want to talk about Khalil Mack but we had Corey Wooten of the Believe in Bears podcast on he said he believes Robert Quinn is the guy that makes that defense run because of his play on the opposite side he said basically now guys can't double or triple Khalil Mack they have to pay attention to what Robert Quinn is doing and he's actually made strides as a run defender so would you would you agree with Corey to saying that Robert Quinn may be just as important as Khalil Mack for that front seven
2: this season he has been and he was such a a disappointment last season it's been a very pleasant surprise for this defense opposing offensive lines are still double and triple teaming Khalil Mack Mm -hmm. I mean you're still seeing tight ends really focus all their time on trying to get over to him and it's led to a lot of those one-on-one matchups for Quinn so I I don't think one has this as much success without the other right I think they're they're really playing off each other to where Quinn is getting those favorable matchups because Khalil Mack is still taking that attention and so you know they it's hard for me to sit here and say that Quinn has been more important because he's he's had his success because Mack is still commanding so much of that attention and so it's it's a very Powerful dynamic between the two of them that have given opposing offensive lines a lot of fits to start the season, especially the Bears just haven't had as much from their interior off the interior defensive line because Eddie Goldman's been out, Akeem Hicks has kind of been injured on and off, and it's there's been flashes here and there, but they would like a little bit more on that end. But so much of that then helps what they're able to do on the back end where a lot more of their weaknesses lie back there in the secondary, and if, if they give an opposing quarterback time to throw, he should have some opportunity to get receivers open downfield somewhere.
0: Lauren, let me ask you this. So we go back up to the 50,000-foot level when we're talking about the Bears and where they're at. I thought they were getting a lot of negative press because of the quarterback situation and because of the offense at times, even though, look, they're 2-2, and um, and, and they're not anywhere near being out of the NFL season. Uh, They've had some really good flashes. But overall, the organization, where Matt Nagy's taking this team, how's the overall mood in Chicago with Bears fans and with you that cover them day in and day out uh, about where the organization? headed, the personnel they have, and the plan they have in place.
2: So the win against the Lions last week, and now naming Justin Fields, has gone a long way toward building back some of that confidence from the fan base, but the, the, the large majority were ready to fire Matt Nagy after they lost to the Browns. and I mean, it was it was changed the head coach in the middle of the season, changed the general manager, blow it up, build around Justin Fields, get a new coach there. And that hasn't necessarily fully gone away. I mean, even mm-hmm. after they, they beat the Lions, you go to like the Bears live streaming their head coach press conference, even after a win where Justin Fields played great and you still have fire Matt Nagy, fire this guy. Why is he still talking? This guy's a bum. He's going to ruin our quarterback over and over. So like he hasn't forgiven all sins just because he beat the 0-4 Detroit Lions. So th- there's still this, this feeling Like the Bears have to show more and win some games here and show more progress and look like a team on the rise with Justin Fields for Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace to truly be safe because it's it's definitely been building up over the last three seasons. You know, the first year in the playoffs. Well, they made the playoffs twice, but the first year, you know, actually a 12 and four season playing well that that earned them something for a long time. But the last three seasons have left Bears fans very disappointed. And Justin Fields looks like so far he might just be enough to keep this thing going for another couple of years, but. The trust level is still low. There was not a lot of trust that he would go back to Justin Fields as a starter, and they really thought he would go stick go back to Andy Dalton and stick with that for even longer. And so it's it's very uh, a very damaged relationship still. So really quick, I uh, just
1: want you to look into your crystal ball. Big picture is is Matt Nagy back next year? Is Ryan Pace back again? Cause I know he's he's ah uh, on the last year of his deal. And Matt Nagy has one more year. Do you see them both back? One of them back? None of them back? What do you say?
2: The The crystal ball tells me they're both back because I, I think I think the ownership and management of the team doesn't like to rock the boat if they don't have to. They like the consistency. They don't want to be a team that is churning through head coaches and general managers over and over again and having to blow everything up, especially now that they're talking about buying a new stadium, moving out of downtown Chicago into the suburbs and building a brand-new stadium. I think they you know, they want to kind of keep the whole – some nice consistency as they work through that potential transition in the near future. If I were in charge, I would be more inclined to make that change because I think (laughs) we have seen over the few years now, some very real flaws in this this coaching staff and head coach position. And the the key thing too is we don't know for sure where their contract statuses are. They've been very vague about it. They won't answer media questions about whether they have years left or whether they got an extension this off season. It's been this whole shrouded mystery about how much job security they actually have. But I think again, ownership and management Doesn't want to shake the boat unless things really go south.
0: All right, there you go. Everything you need to know about the Bears' opponent, excuse me, the Raiders' opponent in the Bears later this afternoon out at Allegiant Stadium. Lauren Cox from the Locked On Bears podcast. Lauren, thanks for being with us today, man. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game.
2: Hey, appreciate you guys having me on. Hopefully, we don't have to see backup quarterbacks like we did last time this team played. (laughs) There you go,
0: Lauren Cox. Thanks, Lauren. All right, there you have it, Mo. The Bears, everything you need to know. Interesting take there that, and you know what? Bears fans, Raiders fans, not always happy with their teams, and both are willing to tell you about it.
1: Uh very interesting very interesting he's willing to make the change but he doesn't think it's going to happen right uh i I don't know how that's going to pan out but the bears are going to need to make the playoffs
0: yeah we'll 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 talk a little bit more about that too uh when we come back we're going to take a break now here on silver and black today game Day. when we come back evan grote host of the just pod baby podcast will be with us you're listening to silver and black today game day only here on the fan las vegas Nation rallies every week of the NFL season. It's silver and black today, game day. Welcome back Sunday morning. How's the coffee? How's the scone? Yeah, if you're a West Coaster, you got the little scone, you're pinky out drinking your coffee, right? No, just kidding. This is Raider Nation. We don't do that, do we? Maybe we do. You're back here, Silver and Black today, game day. We are in the home stretch as we gear up for today's game. Down at Allegiant Stadium, I can already hear the black hole warming up, the tailgate is going, you got the tacos going, you got the hot dogs going, you are cooking up a storm and you're getting ready for the Raiders and the Bears at uh, just after one o'clock today down at Allegiant Stadium. This is Scott Cobranson, my co-host Mo Moten, and we bring in now two because... We, we like to just give you bonuses on this show. So we bring in the man who takes many naps and goes to bed early. That is a Mr. Evan Grote. He is the host of the very popular Just Pod Baby uh, podcast. And we woke him up from his mid-morning nap. You say it's only 9 o'clock, but Evan has to get in his sleep. Evan, do you feel refreshed? Are you ready to go to talk here on Silver and Black Today game day? <laughs>
3: Well, well, first of all, I'm glad to be on here with you guys. Say I'm a big fan of the show. And I must say, because I like to go to bed so early, <laughs> I'm often up really early at the crack of dawn. So I'm ready to go. I'm excited for the game today and I'm really looking forward to it.
0: That's good. So we, we got, we got the three amigos here and we're going to talk Raiders football. And of course we're focusing on the game. We just got got done talking to Lauren Cox from the locked on bears podcast. He gave us an in-depth view of that, but, but Evan, I want to back up. Mo and I were talking about earlier in the show, the Raiders offensive line the state of the Raiders because I don't know I think there's some people who the sky is always falling so every time the Raiders won a game and got to three and0 they were waiting for the other shoe to drop then you had the other part of the the the, the uh, fan base who thought that they were going to go 17 and0 and then you had I think most of us in the middle who were more realistic uh, but clearly this first loss, now puts a little more pressure on them, I think, to to win this home game against the Bears. But what was your impression overall? I know you talked about it on the podcast, but was your overall impression of where this team is at three and one after four games?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I got to be honest, I, I I didn't see a three and one start coming. Um, you know, I predicted this team to go nine and eight when the season first started. So I'm I'm very satisfied with a three and one start. But you know, I think what we have seen here is that. Because of the, the, the winning that's occurred, it's really kind of masked some of the, the imperfections with this team. I know that you guys have talked a lot about it yourselves on your show, but the offensive line, it continues to be a, a big concern for me. Um, I, I, I'm sure many of the listeners out there are aware of the pro football focus grades that, uh, that these offensive linemen currently have right now. And you know it's it's a big concern, and uh, you know there there was a, a little bit of a shakeup this week that we saw uh, occur uh, during practice with the offensive line. It looks like uh, Elks Leatherwood is going to be bumped inside to guard, and, and Brandon Parker is going to get a shot uh, outside at right tackle. So you know, will that be the fix that this offensive line needs? You know, time will tell. But um, as of right now, I, I'm supportive of the uh, of the. Uh, idea of of you know looking into some other options because right now they don't have a whole lot of options and 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 I think the way the team is playing right now uh you know they're set up to make a little bit of a run here the schedule looks favorable so I I don't think they can they can mess around here and uh you know wait for a a young right tackle or a young center to to develop they got to make some changes right now that can help them win right now
0: or or a center a a center that's a veteran that you gave too much money to even though he's never played the position
1: Scott's throwing shots, but Evan, um, (laughs) we're we're friends here, right, Evan? We're buddies here, right? We we text each other all the time. You don't have to be politically correct about this. (laughs) How do you feel? How do you – tell the fans, tell Raiders fans, how do you really feel about this offensive line? Are you confident in Brandon Parker? Do you think Alex Leatherwood should move inside, or do you think they should have gave him more time, being that he's not playing in his
3: natural position? Well, you know, I I don't feel great about – uh, the move with Brandon Parker, I you know I've never really trusted him. He's been, you know, a, a backup with this team since he was drafted in 2018. He's he's underperformed as a third round draft pick. I think the expectations for him were a little bit higher, and and he's never really developed into that guy. And so I I don't feel real comfortable with him at right tackle. And I think many fans out there assume that because they're moving Leatherwood into guard that this line is automatically you know, it's automatically gonna improve. And I, I don't think that's the case. I still think there's issues at left guard with John Simpson. He's he has not been great this year. Uh you talk about the center Andre James, he has a long ways to go in, in my opinion. And I think it's time we start having the conversation about looking more at Nick Martin, the backup center, who at least has some experience uh in the league and maybe that gives time to Andrew or Andre James to, you know, develop a little bit more um, but yeah, I mean, I, I still think it's a big concern. Despite the, the changes that we might see, I, I still have concerns with this offensive line.
0: No doubt about it. I mean, and, and I have to go back to the personnel decisions that Mo and I talk about all the time here as well, which is you spent money in places uh, and, and you didn't improve that offensive line you know, other than going out and getting Alex Leatherwood, of course, spending draft capital there. But I, I want to talk about some guys, you know, Carl Joseph, you had to guarantee money. So we, we've talked about that here, where you cut guys, you got rid of guys, or you have guys who are playing, making money that aren't contributing. Meanwhile, you have that hole on the offensive line, protecting your franchise quarterback, at least for the moment. And, and you have in this offense that has to score points, but you're unable to do it, which brings me back to guys you're spending money on. So let's do a little roundtable here. I want any Mo Evan explain to me Kenyon Drake explain to me why you spend the money on a running back and he gets no carries explain to me why yes he's good in the passing game and you use him but why the hell did the Raiders do this if they're not going to use him
1: well first of all I feel bad because I've recommended Kenyon Drake to plenty of Raider fans and Evan uh, Evan asks my fantasy advice every Sunday morning. By the way, <laughs> I'm I'm hoping for my cut when he wins the pots. So just and putting I, that out I'm there. And I'm three but,
3: and one. I'm three and one right now. So it's good. Nice.
1: Advice. You're welcome, buddy. You're welcome. But just to answer Scott's question, I'm I'm a bit confused because I thought once Josh Jacobs suffered his injury, I thought they were going to turn to Kenyon Drake to be that one B type of running back, and they didn't. They brought in Peyton, Peyton Barber. And Gruden did say he was excited about Peyton Barber. I'll admit, I didn't believe him. I was like, no, Kane and Drake is going to get most of the touches because they signed him to a two-year, $11 million contract. That contract is fully guaranteed on the third day of the 2022 season. But they're using him as a wide receiver four or five, and I get it. He is a pretty good pass catcher out of the backfield. But when Jacobs is, is banged up, that should be Drake's time to shine. And it just hasn't been because they've been using Barber. Now Barber's hurt. He has a, he has a toe injury. I'm wondering how this goes. I know Jacobs looks, I want to say hundred percent, but he's now practicing more during, during the week. If he gets banged up again and Barber is out, is it, is, is it finally Kenyan Drake time or not? I'm just (laughs) confused about what they're going to do with him for, for throughout the season.
3: Yeah. I I agree with Mo totally there. You know, it's only been four games, uh, so I don't want to totally write off Drake for the entire season because he could he could turn it on and, and he could really be productive for this team. But I have to admit I'm very disappointed with the usage of Drake to this point, especially uh, when you consider the money that they're paying. And Mo talked about that two years, eleven million dollars. He's done next to nothing in the run game—forty-six yards on twenty-two carries. And, and Mo mentioned, you know, his abilities as a pass catcher. He had zero targets last week. They're not even using him in the passing game right now is as well. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. That's not very good return on your investment. And there is one other thing that I want to point out to you guys. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jalen Richard, I believe he, he came off of the IR, um, what, last week, this week? And, and I believe he returned to practice in, in some fashion. I'm not sure how much he was able to do. But you know what does that mean for Drake's role when Rashard is back? Richard's bread and butter is on third downs as a receiver, and he is also very good in pass protection. So I I worry that unless Gruden... Can find more ways to create some touches for Drake that he could just continue to be a non-factor, and that would be a bad look for Gruden and Mac, who, as as we're talking about, have made some mistakes with their roster management in recent years.
0: Yeah, and it's 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 really confusing to me too because the Raiders still have not been able to get their run game going. I mean, you, you talked about Peyton Barber; he's the leading rusher on the team with what 133 yards on the season. Um, and 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 so so you you need to get that. The, I, look, this Raiders team cannot make the playoffs unless they get. An a an above average and consistent running game. They just can't. They're not going to win flinging the ball. I know they've done some games on that, but you're going to play defenses, and the longer the season goes on, they figure it out, and Derek cars can't be on, as we saw, every single game. Your receivers aren't going to be on every single game. You're going to face teams, and even though the schedule is favorable, like you guys said, you've got to establish the run game. That's so key to Gruden's offense and his philosophy that if we go—I'm I, I, fearful that if we go into the fifth week of the season against the Bears today— and they're unable to run the ball at all again. That's not going to bode well for the rest of the schedule, especially inside the AFC West, when you got to face the Chargers again, you got to face the Chiefs, and you got to face the Broncos.
3: Yeah, and you know what? I think if we're being honest as well about the offensive line, it, 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 maybe it's just me, but I think th- the run blocking is being overlooked. I think everyone's kind of hyper focused on mm-hmm. the struggles that they have in pass protection, and I think it's because you know we see sacks and we mm-hmm. saw uh, we see the quarterback, you know being flushed out of the pocket and whatnot, but the rushing offense, the rush block, the running uh, game blocking is uh, is not very good as well. In fact, the Raiders offense is ranked 27th in the league right now as far as uh, game rushing yards per game. And uh, if anyone out there is into pro football focus grades, they have Las Vegas ranked last and run blocking with a grade of 34.2. So things need to get better in a hurry.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, and, and, and again, that's how the Raiders' offense gets going. Of course, so much time is spent on talking about the greatness of Darren Waller, talking about Henry Ruggs and his ability to get downfield, and of course Brian Edwards, who didn't get much of a sniff in the game against the Chargers with the offense not going, uh, even though he was open a couple times. And, and so you look at this offensive team and what they're doing, they've got to get consistent, and they got to fix that. I don't know, to your point, Mo, they got to fix it uh, internally and, and they got to work with what they have. And if they don't feel confident in what they have, then they got to go out and, and look for a guy uh, who could help them if there's anybody out there like Rick Wagner, like you talked about uh, before. And so, so that's, what, that's what concerns me with this one. Now we look at this game, guys, coming up against the Bears later today here in Las Vegas, and you look at the Bears' defense Evan, and I'll start with you on this one. You look at that Bears defense with Khalil Mack, of course. They have some injuries uh, with Akeem Hicks has been hurt with a groin. I don't know if he's going to go today. I would anticipate, even though he's been banged up, that you'll see Khalil Mack because he's motivated to play the Raiders always. Um, and, and, and that ability of that, that team to get to the quarterback mixed with the Raiders' struggles up front, um, a lot of fans seem to be confident that the Raiders are going to beat the Bears, but I think this is going to be an ugly close game.
3: Yeah, I, I, you know, I I think it's a close game as well. I know the line uh, is around five, five and a half right now with the Raiders as the favorite. Uh, But I don't I I don't think anyone should be overlooking this Bears team. I've looked a little bit closer into them as as the game has gotten closer. And I've been very impressed with with uh, a couple of their wide receivers. uh, Darnell Mooney. Uh, as, as well as uh, Allen Robinson. As long as that offensive line of the Bears can give uh, Justin Fields some time, he can he can push the ball downfield. That's one of his strengths. He's got a nice big arm. But, um, you know, as you mentioned, the defense of the Bears, also very good. Uh, we're still kind of waiting to, to see what's going to be going on with Akeem Hicks. Uh, Khalil Mack was also banged up. But they got Robert Quinn as well, who can really get after the quarterback, four and a half sacks. And, uh, you know, they got a front four that can really really get after the quarterback.
1: This is what I'm worried about with the Raiders. And we, we talked about this, Scott, before, is they haven't played a complete game yet. They mm-hmm. play a good quarter here. They play a good half there. And in their, three of the first four games, they've fallen behind at least 14 points. Now, if they do that against the Bears, I think it could be a problem because the Bears' defense is that good where you can they can probably limit a decent or a good offense if they get a good lead. So if the Raiders start off slow, That could be a huge problem, especially if the Bears can get the run game going. We talked about the holes in the Raiders' run defense. They cannot start off slow because if they do, that could be a problem.
0: It could be. And we got about a minute left, guys, before we got to check out for the day. I think the key is you got the Raiders have to win the takeover battle today. They have to force Justin Fields. He's a rookie. He's a very talented kid. I think he's going to be a pretty good NFL quarterback when it's all said and done. But do you guys agree with me there? I think the Raiders need to pressure him. They need to play well in the middle as well. Control the run as much as possible, even though Montgomery's out with the knee injury and they got to play well, even though they have a banged up back end uh, from a defensive back standpoint. If they can fluster him and create some takeaways, I like the Raiders to cover actually today too. I could, I think they, they can win by a touch. And I'm going to pick them uh, to win this one, 21-17 uh, or excuse me, 21-14. Uh, what do you guys think uh, with about the 30-40 seconds we have left? We'll start with Mo.
1: I have the Raiders 23-17 in an ugly, ugly football game. <laughs> How about you, Evan? What do you got?
3: Yeah, I, I see it the same way. Raiders 24-17. I think the key to this game for both teams is which offensive line can protect their quarterback. I think the Raiders have a slight advantage going up against a rookie quarterback who's not going to be able to lean on David Montgomery in, the, in that running game.
0: Well, there you have it. Uh, all three of us taking the Raiders today, not just because we cover the Raiders, but we actually believe that. Uh, and so uh, there you have it. Uh, Evan Grote from Just Pod Baby. Make sure you subscribe to his podcast. Evan, uh, you can also follow him on Twitter at eGroat, Grote, G uh, R O A T five. Evan, thanks for being with us, man. We'll have you on again, of course.
3: Anytime, guys. You know I love love chatting with you guys.
0: All right. So there you have Evan and, of course, my co-host, Mo Moten. Follow him on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. Mo, we'll be back here next week, my friend.
1: Hopefully, at four and one.
0: <laughs> there you go. Uh, as always, make sure you too. You can follow me at LV Gully. Follow the show SNB Tonight on Twitter and check out the website. If you want to know anything about Vegas sports and read Mo's stuff up there, as well as stuff from Evan occasionally, too, and myself, you can check out vegasportstoday.com. For Evan, for Mo, I am Scott Branson. Thanks for joining us here on Silver and Black Today, game day only on the Fan Las Vegas. It's game time. Let's go. <laughs> (laughs) Raiders. Talk to you next week.